working on finding executive presence is owning who we are and the power of all those different elements simultaneously embracing that people may be responding in ways that we have no control over. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Today, I have been looking forward to for quite a while since we first booked uh, this guest. Hillary Blair is the CEO and the lead coach of Articulate Real and Clear, but she's also a really good friend and I would say has been instrumental for me in some of my leadership development and certainly my speaking. So I am excited because we're going to be talking today about executive presence uh, around some of the other work that Hillary and her team do, but I think you're going to get some really good nuggets and some usable ways to develop your executive presence and be more influential. So Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hillary, I start with every guest. I ask the same question to begin with. And so the question is, what is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? My earliest thought of myself as a leader, memory, maybe like yesterday. <laughs> I feel strongly that that is an area I am working on all the time because I have always found myself to be super good at being a second. I have been really good at being the person behind the leader. Granted, we are eight years into my company now <laughs> and I am the CEO and I still feel like I am learning how to be a leader. And I feel like I always showed up as that second and it was people around me who were always saying, you should be leading that, you should be in charge of that. Mm. So the interesting thing is that that's not where my mind has been. I don't know why. I had a lot of ideas. I love sharing ideas and I love bringing the team along. I've been a theater person my entire life. And now when you meet me, it may seem odd that I was a shy, super shy child. I give that uh, new way of showing up. I give that benefit to my work in theater and my work on doing the program called Living History at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. And I learned how to show up more, which will lead into more when we talk about executive presence, right? So the idea of being that leader, I was always new ideas. I'll have someone else do it. I'm a team. Let's a team do it. I mean, it's a cliche, right? We have a barn. Let's put on a show. And I have been so many places where if you look back and we talk through it, you might think, oh, I think you were a leader there. I think you were a leader there. And maybe it is that I was leading from behind instead. And it was a huge deal to step out and go, I'm going to start a company. Even though I had a freelance voiceover business on the side and I led that and I led programs within my job at the Denver Center, I was not the leader leader. The term leader to me is a pretty reverential term. And I, I am still learning how to grow into that. I read a lot. I have a coach. Yes. That word leader you said is a pretty reverential term. So you've got a particular image of what that means. Yes. That the leading from the back or assembling the team to put on the show are things that as you were younger, didn't necessarily occur to you as leadership. Although I think certainly just about anyone listening to the show today would say, well, absolutely. If you assemble a team of people and achieve something, however, yeah. wherever you were relative to the spotlight, that would be leadership. Yeah, 
And I'm even thinking when I led a bike trip, right? I led the, the cycling trip. I had 11 16-year-olds, yes, for six weeks carrying all our own weight. Yes, that is a journey of hormones. And so that element of leading that trip was fascinating because the guy that I co-led with was legally blind and he was going to be skiing as part of the Paralympics. He was doing this whole oh, fantastic wow. thing. And so he was in training every time we'd ride all day and then he'd go skate after to be in shape for skiing later. And uh, he couldn't see. So we were definitely co-leading and he was in the back. So he would lead, follow the pack. He wasn't in front with me. So there's something I'm like, I was leading even the words. I've had a lot of things that say leader and I still felt like I was co or part or he was amazing. And I learned from him. Today, you, you and Articulate Real and Clear, you work with leaders around the world. Yes. I mean, you've worked with Fortune 100 companies all over the globe and, and some of the leaders and executives at, at various levels. What is it that Articulate Real and Clear does? If you were to talk about your company's mission or the work that you do, how would you describe that? We say that we help people share their voices, literally and figuratively. That shows up in any number of ways. We come from the performance background. When we work with people, we are using the insights and dare I use the overused word, authentic expression of the self. How is that individual showing up? So what we do with people all across the globe is we figure out who they are and how they get to express their voice literally and figuratively. An analogy we use is that everyone can play Hamlet and they have to say the same words and they have to basically enter and exit at the same time and yet they bring their absolute individual spin to it their absolute individual energy to it and that's what we're looking for so no formulaic communication and also checking in how come david when you say something you sound so sincere and connected and i may say the exact same words and someone may say "Woo, a little sarcastic hillary so how come we show up so differently and how, therefore, do I understand my instrument and my energy and be a leader with showing up in the space with that knowledge? And how do you? We work with a lot of emerging leader programs as well, which I adore. So a number of companies will have emerging leader programs and we get to come in and help people sort out what they've been told they should do from how they actually express better. I was just working with someone on that and he's amazing and he has some constrictions coming in, right? That are shutting down parts of him because he thinks they're wrong. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 that's a great gift. How do we find how that works for you? You don't have to edit it out of you. Well, I think that that message is so freeing and liberating and, and empowering. And, and I want to dive deeper into that. I think the people listening to the show today, if I could get, everything, uh, if nothing else out of this interview, that is, I think, the message and the how you show up. Because, so I was talking with a, this is a regional president I was talking with a week and a half ago. And he said, almost started the conversation, you know, I really want to work on my executive presence. Mm -hmm. Of course, I said, so what do you mean by that? And I'm going to ask you the same question in just a moment, of course, but he said something very interesting. And I think that he was real about himself in a way that maybe many people aren't. But he said, you know, Early in my career, I was sitting in a company meeting, large company meeting, and CEO walked in, shook some hands, was navigating the front of the room, and he said, I remember to this day telling myself, now that's a CEO. Mm. 
I said, well, what was it about that that did that? And what he described was charisma and presence and a command of the room, warm and friendly, and yet clearly respected by everybody and almost genuflection and you know, so on. So he had a particular image of what executive presence meant. I suspect that's not your definition. And I'm curious what uh, your definition of executive presence would be to start. It is in showing up. It's an energy of showing up. So there are elements of what you just expressed that I do absolutely agree with. It shows up differently on people. If when someone asks me, I'll say it's building trust and understanding that we need to communicate in dialogue and not monologue. There is an element of what it means to see other people and be seen in it. So we train around the four pillars of presence, which come from the theater world. But that idea of building trust, thinking about the story you just told, there is an element of trust in there that we, we sometimes take for granted in there was an openness to that CEO, I'm assuming, an openness like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna believe in that person and trust them to have our best interests at heart. There are variations on what a CEO would look like. And we talk about executive presence. We have one of our fabulous clients who's like, hey, can you work with our, our people on their executive presence? And I was like, okay, let me figure out exactly what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah. We hear that same question all the time. It's why I know this is going to be a popular episode because it's something that everybody, I think, in, who's in leadership is looking for in different ways. But, you know, figuring out what do we mean? So that energy and that yes. presence that you're talking about. Yes. What kind of energy is it? It's, it's trust building, you said. It's yeah. connected. How and, else would you describe it? Yeah. And there's an element of what, when we talk with people is that when you enter the room, we want to make it easy for people to know who you are instead of making it hard. It's connected to that. We do judge a book by its cover. And that can be annoying until you realize that as human beings, we are always assessing things. We're very visually oriented. And so we'll share an idea that I judge a book by its cover. That's why I'm walking by a bookstore and I pick up a certain book because I think, ooh, I connect with that. I'm going to know what's in there. And honestly, think about it also. We have amazing jobs. People are designing books because we judge books by, by the cover. We are deciding which ones best connect to what's inside. And if you pick it up and flip over the back and then you read the back and you're like, oh, totally. That describes exactly what I want. If you then get home and start reading the book and it's not what you thought it was going to be, you're frustrated. And that's what we're exploring with executive presence is that idea of how do I show up, speak up, bring my energy so that you know what you're getting. It's why it does matter what you wear to a degree, not, not that we have to follow rules. What I'm expressing is that what do I need to wear to make it easy for you to know who I am and what my energy is? What do I need to express myself if I need to go a different direction and therefore challenging who you are, then that is the energy that I'm creating with dress with my energy. So I don't want to spend too much time in the external because as, as important as that is, it isn't the only element of executive presence. It is important. It matters. It matters why... So for me, there's also the element of it matters if you're male or female or on, on the continuum of where you are. It matters if you're old or young. Those are elements of our executive presence and our nationality and our race. And we can't ignore that and recognizing that it's, it's key. So I don't want to be discussing 
I don't want to discuss executive presence, pretending that I'm not aware that we show up in multiple ways in the world, size, shape, gender, color, nationality, languages, everything. I want to acknowledge that. And then I, and because executive presence can get hung up on the outside, I want us to acknowledge that that is one of the things that we coach through is recognizing when I enter the room, I, there are assumptions being made about me because we have human beings seeing us. And because human beings are judging and creating story, we don't want to suspend judgment and suspend story. That is the strongest human quality that we have. We are always judging to see if something's safe. We are always creating story to understand. That's one of the most beautiful things. So if we understand that people are doing that and we ask people to understand that if they are judging, to judge with curiosity and not condemnation, right? And to recognize the biases in their stories, to understand where we are. If we're recognizing that and empowering the fact that how we enter a room and what story people are putting on us is part of our package and part of our executive presence, we own it instead of pretending that's not happening. Start with that notion that you were getting at that when I walk in a room, I need to be aware that everyone in the room is telling themselves a story and making those assessments because they are lovable human beings just like I am and I do the same thing. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's start there. And, and you talked about the range of personalities, the range of body size, gender, all the different ranges that yeah. people come in. How do we and I don't know what the word you would use, yeah. how do we tap into the healthy stories, the aligned stories as we walk in the room? If you were to get practical for people who are listening, going, yeah. okay, well, I get what you're saying, but gosh, how do I do that? Yes. Super important for us. We are always finding what is that affirmative story and interpretation and framing. So I call myself a reframer often when I'm a coach, I say I'm a reframer. I am always finding the strength in the story because we will find, as the individual, we will find what is wrong with the story or wrong with that part of ourselves, personality, skill, whatever it is. And for me to find that affirmative side of it. I use the word affirmative versus positive because positive has that Pollyanna thing. And sometimes the affirmative isn't a positive thing. For me, it's finding, I, I don't know, David, for you, when I meet you, and sometimes I hear you struggling with one of your most beautiful qualities, which is your quietness and your introspection, and you are claiming that element of yourself as detrimental, the reframer in me is like, no, 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 no. That is an amazing thing. So the stories we're telling ourselves, my job in life and finding your voice, literal and figurative, is to help you give voice to those elements of you and see the affirmative side of them. Understanding we all, every side of us has a shadow, right? Every personality trait. So the working on finding executive presence is owning who we are and the power of all those different elements, simultaneously embracing that people may be responding in ways that we have no control over, right? So we cannot control how someone reacts to us. We can control how we show up. One of my favorite quotes from a leader up in Omaha was he said, I don't know, Hillary, all I know is I'm aware enough to know that I'm not aware. And I went, oh my gosh, what a brilliant executive presence comment, right? So he was bringing us in to train his leaders. And that was his sense. It's like, we're aware enough to know we're not aware. And that is super aware and aware than most people. Executive presence, you must have a self-awareness, not a self-paranoia, not a self-beating up, 
a self-awareness of going, wow, some people, this is how I land on them. And some people, this, what can I adjust to make it easier for people to hear me and see me and receive me? And I can't take full responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. I can only take some. The thing is, most of us get frustrated, and this is where executive presence can uh, backfire on us, is we can get a little upset, angry, frustrated that we're not landing the way we want. And we get, forget it. I'm just going to, who cares? I'm going to go there. And we, we get defensive versus playing the game of figuring out how we're showing up. This is my journey. The reason I have a communications company is because I am fascinated by how I land. And from early on, early, early on, I was in a play when I was 10 and I still can hear the father of my best friend, not knowing I overheard him. I happened to get the lead. I was Wendy. For goodness sakes, it's Peter Pan. I was Wendy. I wasn't even Peter. I was Wendy. And I heard him say to her, oh, is she getting a big head? Is she acting different? And from that moment forth, I did everything I could to not be that, which then backfired because I was trying to limit myself. I was trying to shrink myself. And I have carried that and I'm still working on that. It's a definitely one of the reasons why I have articulate <laughs> and I'm working with other people and realizing that those messages get in there and how do we I was 10 it was about a play I was like oh my goodness I'm so not I'm not gonna I'm not arrogant I'm nothing I no, no 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 and then we ricochet somewhere else so coaching and executive presence is understanding for me what my what stories may be coming across how people may be receiving me and I get to choose what I adjust to make it clearer or what do I not adjust and say, this is how I show up and I understand sometimes I'm misunderstood. And for me, that has the element of charisma in it for some folks. You feel them enter the room realizing they're not editing, editing themselves and there's a warmth about them. You can have executive presence without charisma for sure. So a couple of things that jump out at me as you're talking. One is that it's a choice. The, one of the differences between somebody who has executive presence and somebody who doesn't is that they're making yeah. a conscious choice to affirm and present the best element of who they are, an authentic, real, aligned way of who they are. Yeah. They have confidence in that. But they also have the humility to understand that that's not going to land or work for everyone. Right. And that they're still choosing that as well. Yes. And it seems to me that that is part of the reason that we trust those people. Yes. That they're comfortable enough with themselves. They're comfortable enough with you not being comfortable, fully comfortable with them. Yes. But that's authentic and we can trust that. Yes. Yes. So many stories come to mind with me. So like when we discuss the four pillars, when we're practicing, the first pillar is to allow yourself to be seen. And that is counter to our culture, the first pillar we work on. And that idea of allowing yourself to be seen, we are taught to kind of hide and not be seen and not take center stage and not take up space and all of that. And whether center stage, it just means simply your seat at the table in a meeting, your one-on-one. -on -one. Allow yourself to be seen. And then we work on seeing the other person, truly seeing them. And making eye contact in our culture, eye contact, there are other ways to be seen in different cultures, right? So that idea of seeing people, another thing that goes against our culture, we have been taught not to invade people's personal space. And yet there's an element of seeing someone 
that is part of our executive presence. So this is that counterintuitive coaching that I work on and that reframing is yes, we have been taught to not be seen and not see others. And yet we're asking you if you're gonna show up with executive presence to be seen and see other folks. So this is connected to that. And then the third pillar for us is connecting to how we choose to show up, which is what we were talking about there. I get to choose the energy I, I enter the room with. Yes, clothing, yes, all of that. And I have many stories about that. And it's about energy. I get to come in with really yummy energy, warm energy. I get to come with closed energy. I get to that, and that's my choice. And sometimes people are on habit and they aren't aware, they aren't intentional. And habits are good. We create habits to survive, but that, I, that sense of not being intentional with it. The fourth pillar, and sometimes we talk about those, that third pillar is where charisma lives, which is I'm choosing how I show up, I'm seeing you, I'm allowing you to see me. The fourth pillar for me is where you become a leader and have executive presence and a leader at all the levels. And the fourth level is to receive being seen. Mm. And receiving is different than letting people see you. So all right, talk to us about that. Yeah, so receiving is really going into that dialogue energy that we talk about versus monologue. And if we think, quick analogy, if I invite you over to dinner, that's me allowing myself to be seen and seeing you. I, I, I invite you over to dinner. I allow you to come to my house to dinner. Receiving you as I sit down and eat with you. So there's a different vulnerability that comes with receiving being seen. And when we work with people in a space, that receiving is where people start to have their hands start covering themselves, right? It's like, that's where, like, wow, that's a lot of me. And that vulnerability, that availability, we discussed the difference between those two words. The vulnerability and availability is what's expected with executive presence and with leaders. That's where that trust comes from. So allowing yourself to be seen and seeing and then choosing how you show up are three really important pillars. And when we receive, not only is it an energy drain, it is much more draining. We did an exercise when I was an actor in... New York City, where we would walk around receiving people seeing us and our, our energy just drains out, right? There's a reason why we turn it on and off. And that's much more of a drain. And we're really connecting. And some people are fed by that. It's still draining. Even if people are more extroverted and fed by that, there is a, there is a sense of being that present. So that <laughs> element of receiving being seen, can you talk a little bit more about what does that look like? Yeah. You know, you're, somebody's listening to this driving in or they're going to work tomorrow. Like, and so gosh, I want to receive being seen and they're going to work through the other three pillars first, but how do you do that? What does that look like? And I would say what it feels like. And there are plenty of people like, ah, I don't know. And it is a super aware place to be. And a couple of the things to watch for as you receive being seen is that there is a sense of it being, okay, now it's all about me. I'm receiving being seen. And if I am in front of people, then it's about me. And what, how we want to counter that is to remember that I'm receiving being seen and everything that I'm sharing is about you. And I want you to get one thing that I'm sharing. I want you to have one technique, one idea that you can move forward. So our objective of connecting with people, we want it to always be about the other because some people are like, oh, if I'm receiving, then am I all about myself? That's the counterintuitive energy of about it is that if I'm receiving you, then I am able to be aware of what you need more. And it will feel like super vulnerable and you will find your, you'll do your typical things. You'll close off physically. Your voice may close off. Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm open. Like there are vocal things we do when we are not allowing ourselves to receive being seen. I'm, if you're driving in the car right now, 
I would be going, this lady is just hokey. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing here working with David and I'm taking it in. And when we work with people, it is, there is a physical shift in the body from like a sort of, yeah, I get it. I'm here and I, I'm allowing you to see me and I see you and I choose. And then I receive, there's a feet grounded. There's an openness to the chest. There's a, and I energy that drops some of the masks that we might wear. David, I guess I would look for the things that we do. What are we, how are we dodging it? And what does it mean to be fully open, connected, available? You are making me think back to when I was first promoted into a C-suite role as chief operating officer. And we had a woman in the organization in talent management and human resources who would do uh, executive profiles. And they were basically almost user manuals for those executives personality profiles, like, you know, beyond just the surface ones, but just these workups. And then she would put it into plain English and do an hour and a half session on here is this person. Here is how they like to receive information. Here's how, if you want to influence them the way that you should probably go about it. Here are the things to look out for, you know, just we're all human, but it was a fascinating experience. And I loved the learning. I loved the self-information aspect of it. But holy cow, when it came time to be the center of attention and talk about me, everything Mm -hmm. that you're saying is resonating because now I'm recognizing going back just how guarded and uncomfortable I was. And I even expressed my discomfort. And I had somebody who had been my supervisor when I very first joined the company pull me aside afterwards and say, uh, what's going on? Yeah. And question and challenge and, 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 in her own way, she didn't have the training or background or depth that you're talking about, but in her own way was saying, listen, this is about us. It's not about you. Yes. And how I wish I had had that all those years ago. That is a phenomenal point to be able to receive. And I like what you were saying in terms of how can we know if we're doing it? Well, look for the signs that we're not. Right. <laughs> are we guarded? Are we ground? Or versus, I know, like you said, grounded. You know, is, are your feet square underneath you? And I know that's a metaphor, but it could be a physical reality. Mm-hmm. I sometimes call it the whack-a-mole syndrome. So that's from a, an old game at a fair where you pop one mole down and one pops up, you pop it down. Like, so one, you get rid of one thing, it pops back up. And silly example, like I stop eating donuts, start smoking, stop smoking, start biting my nails, you know, that kind of thing. Like you get rid of one thing. And when we're working on showing up in a world that is pretty intense at telling us what we aren't doing well (laughs) in so many ways, we, our body will always try to protect us. And we need to honor our body with that. That's one of our big things is we say, honor our habits. Our habits are there to protect us. So when you, anything that shows up that closes off, if I do a voice that's a little bit different, if I cross my arms, all of those things, we don't say, we don't like slam ourselves for them. We say fascinating. Thank you, body, for showing me that this may not be the safest choice. Being a leader and being a CEO and being in front of people is not a safe choice. This is not safe, right? It's not, we are, we are in front of people. It, it, we are leading them. It is, we will get negative feedback, ideas, energy, all of that. And our body will constantly be trying to protect us. And recognizing as we work on that fourth pillar of receiving, being seen, and being about the others is making the choice to keep opening up and keep being there and keep receiving being seen. And then 
only if we decide it's okay, only if it's in the environment that we've decided for that. If you're somewhere where it's not, trust your body, close the arms, close the voice. We wanna make sure that we are honoring ourselves for the learnings we carry into every environment we're in. So executive presence, yes, we wanna get it to be more in our body and organic and part of our muscle memory. And we wanna always honor the fact that not every situation should we be fully open and connected. We get to choose when that is. Mm, and that's important. And you said you're still working on it. I know I'm certainly still working on it. Yes. Yeah. So that's the constantly working on it. So that energy of, yes, how can I, how can I be present with the executive presence? How can I show up with a client? How can I, in whatever role I am, whatever leadership, level I'm in, right? And I know you're talking about everybody leading, right? So wherever I am, what's that element of executive presence that invites dialogue versus monologue that creates trust? And I, there are wonderful books out there. There's a great book called EP out there that I just want to grab one story. This woman, she was trying to get into school. She was super bright. She was dressed a certain way. She came from a small town and the story is told better in the book. And she's dressed a certain way. She arrived at the school, did the interview, totally didn't fit in. She could feel that. She wore what her mother told her to wear, but they were from a small town. School was a little more highbrow and she didn't get in. The next year, she looked around, saw what everybody was wearing and she went home and the next year she applied to a school similar, similar school. And she dressed the way that she saw the people dressing so that they could see what she had to offer. And she was invited in and got into the school and nothing changed except the way she dressed. And I want us to think about the dressing, not as clothing, but as making it easy for us to see what you have to offer and to see who you are. So claim it any way you want and recognize that we are we are painting our front door in a way that invites people to come into our home. We are choosing our book cover so people know what we have to offer. And to find that as an inviting challenge instead of a negative to issue. And then when we figure that out and keep figuring it out and keep working on it and then dropping in inside as well. Because the rest of the book, of course, goes into other elements of that. What a beautiful, beautiful way to think about that. I don't think we've landed on that one before. The, the notion that choosing your clothing or your external appearance, it's not about trying to be something you're not. It's about removing a barrier that keeps people from seeing who you really are yes. and seeing all the energy and gifts that you do have to bring. We're on camera for those of you listening and she can see me pondering it and thinking through the ramifications of that. That is just a beautiful way to think about that. I'm curious, what would be your number one piece of advice for folks who are transitioning into leadership or early in their leadership career? For someone stepping into leadership is to find the balance between what is expected of them and what their values are. So we talk about values as these little discs and that we stand on our values and the more that overlap with someone else's then we're on a shared platform and to make sure that they aren't stepping off of their own personal values and who they think they are into and onto a platform that isn't connected to who they are 
and to make sure that as they go through these pillars and finding out who they are, what do they, who, what do they stand for? Who are they that they feel solidly grounded and to be super open to two things, feedback and uh, telling people they can't receive it right now. So what I mean by that is to say, Hey, I would love to have your feedback on how do I show up and give specifics and also to set the parameters of saying, thank you. I thought I was ready for feedback. I'm not right now. Thanks. I'll ask you again later. I think that people think as an emerging leader, they have to be open to all energy from people and what's going on. And they ask eagerly. And then sometimes we have days where we're like, oh, wow, that was a good idea yesterday. Today, I don't want that. Or I asked five minutes ago and now I don't want it. Or, wow, the person, the way the person's giving this to me is not working. <laughs> so I want be totally open to feedback because you want to take it in and explore it and toss out what doesn't work for you and be open to going fascinating. That's really good to understand that that's how I'm landing curious and to take care of yourself. Understand that you do not have to be open to feedback at all times. We're not all on balance and centered on any given moment to be able to do that. No, no. And also to be aware that not everybody knows how to give feedback and to, yeah, that's a whole other thing. That's ricochet feedback. I talk about ricochet feedback. So they give you feedback, but you have to kind of plot the ricochets back to figure out what they're really giving you feedback on. Work through it. Well, that is, I don't know if that's helpful. It's incredibly valuable advice uh, if, if you will apply it. That is just magnificent. It's something that I wish I had learned decades ago. So I'm glad that you were able to share that with us. So Hillary, uh, talk to us one final time about Articulate Real and Clear. Who are your ideal clients and how would they find out more about you? Branding's a funny thing. Talking about a company is a funny thing. And when you are learning how to talk about your own company in one way, so I will say that we are an arts-based company that works on helping people find their voice literally and figuratively. And our ideal clients are those who are self-aware and that they want to get real feedback to make a move in their life, whether it's within the company, whether it's within their own personal life, whether it's moving somewhere else and they're getting, they need real feedback. Somehow they realize what they're receiving because they're so high up. They're not getting the feedback that they need because people aren't feeling comfortable or really don't know what feedback to give them. Or they realize that they want it from an outside source. They want it from somewhere else. I also can say that we're in, an interpersonal communications company, working on executive presence, building trust, and making sure we're in dialogue, not monologue. And we work with individuals and teams that are seeking guidance to have a greater impact on the world. And so you've done work with companies like American Express, Janus Fund, Staples, Liberty Global, Slalom, Merrill Lynch, Hunter Douglas. I mean, the list, is, it's a, an impressive list. When you think about the kind of work you're doing with them, and I know it can run a wide range, what does that look like? What is the transformation that happens? Picturing different people right now, super senior executive person who is given new roles and fascinated to find out that all his tools, <laughs> he's like, I am freaking out. I know everything and I am being given this new role and it's an additional role. And it's a leadership role. So I've been a leader forever. I've been running teams forever. This man is in his 60s, right? And he's like, this is crazy. So he comes and he is able to open up and we're able to connect what's happening. What are the skills that carry over? So someone like that 
we are able in a super safer environment to tap into what his strengths are and translate them for him because he was not seeing the connection and felt like he was being asked to do something super outside of his wheelhouse, even though everyone else thought it was. And have him walk out going, yes, and having him translate a new way of speaking to topics, to ideas that he'd never thought about because he had been caught in doing the same thing for many, many years successfully. We have young people coming in who are super energetic and then attempting to tamper that down, to tailor that to the needs around them, to stifle themselves because they are quote unquote too much for people. And we help them figure out how they can be a lot, but not too much. Not, well, they, they aren't too much. I want to make sure you say that. So they're a lot and how they get to reframe that they aren't too much for anybody and how they reclaim what is being stifled them in them as a gift and share it in their communication. So we work with individuals, whether they're getting interviewed, whether they're coming because someone sent them, whether they're seeking it out on their own. And one of our big things is if you get sent, we say, boy, what a gift, what an absolute gift that you have been given time to work on yourself. Because sometimes they come disgruntled, like they're not, they're broken. We're like, oh no, what a gift. So having them show up and walk out in the world, able to connect, able to see others, able to hear others, to listen with a more understanding and empathetic ear, and to be super aware that it's a journey and that they have ups and downs. If yeah. all of that sounds promising and transformational and valuable to you, I will vouch for the company that it is because I'm not just a friend, I've also been a client and would definitely vouch for that work. Hillary, how do they find you? Yeah, so we are at articulaterc.com, and that's articulate, real, and clear. So the RC stands for real and clear, articulaterc.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn. We work with one-on-one -on -one teams. We do speaking gigs, obviously. We have a lot of online. We work visual, um, virtually and in person. Fantastic. Hilary, thank you so much for the time today. And I know that if uh, we can apply just a few of the tools that you shared with us today, they will be transformational and certainly help us choose our presence, that fourth pillar of receiving in a way that goes from monologue to dialogue and is serving others. Uh, so transformational. I know I'm going to be continuing to think about that one as we go on. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.